You are now listening to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jordan and Jimmy. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Jordan, and this is Jimmy. He's a board-certified family doctor who's graduated from the University of Michigan Medical School. And we have one week remaining before Lions football starts. It's finally, finally upon us. It's been a long wait, I feel like, but long feels like a long time. Yeah, exactly. With this whole off season, this quarantine, it feels like, and the fact that we're actually getting football, it's just, it's a big relief. We can, once I actually see that first down of, of football, I'll be so satisfied, but so yeah, also speaking of football season starting, <clears throat> we want to reiterate that we're going to be doing a live stream for the opening of the NFL season. That's going to be this Thursday, September 10th, and we're going to be starting around 8 p.m., maybe a little bit after, like just before the game starts, and we're going to be streaming, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. We're going to just be doing a little bit of Q&A with fans. We're going to be talking about the Lions' official cutdowns because they are currently happening at this moment. We'll talk about all the final 53-man roster. Um, on Thursday. And so, yeah, we'll stream it right off our YouTube page. Feel free to come hang out, ask us any questions you'd like. We're happy to answer them. So first off, we're going to start with the latest episode of Hard Knocks that aired this past Tuesday. And I know a lot of teams have kind of been following the Lions in terms of their canceling practice and all that, how that's going. So Jimmy, do you just want to kind of elaborate a little bit more as I haven't been keeping up with the Hard Knocks episodes as much? Yeah, let's get more into this whole wildcat strike possibility. We yeah. got quite a few comments and traction on our previous podcast regarding it. Mm-hmm. But first of all, let's define what a wildcat strike is. It's a strike that's not authorized or approved by the union. So it's just players just on their own deciding to go on strike. Mm-hmm. Now, the last episode of Hard Knocks on Tuesday it was pretty heavily featured showing the Chargers canceling their practice. Now, before we get too far into this, there's a huge caveat here with hard knocks in that you only see maybe 1% of all the footage that they yeah. have. We got to take everything you see with a big grain of salt. But here are the things that I noticed. When they decided to cancel the practice, what I saw was three people being very vocal and aggressive and possibly deciding things for the entire team. Those three people were Anthony Lynn, the head coach, Tyrod Taylor, the starting quarterback, and an unnamed coach or staff member who spoke during the meeting as well. Mm-hmm. So watching the show is really interesting to see the dynamic here. And you could see how it might only take two or three guys to cancel something for the entire team. So my question is, are the voices everybody being listened to and heard. I sort of doubt it based on what I see, as well as the fact that a lot of people in this country are afraid to voice any kind of dissenting opinion right now, Mm -hmm. or even play a devil's advocate or even voice a neutral opinion. So is the NFL, are these teams going to allow the most vocal, most aggressive, assertive people to make a strike decision for the whole team? Now, the question comes up, who does canceling practice hurt? Mm-hmm. The star players and coaches might not care about the practice, but the guys who are trying to make the team, mm-hmm. 
they need every practice they can to show that they belong, especially in this COVID year. There have been no OTAs. There have been no preseason games. And there's a extended acclimation period of 15 days for which there was no practice. So every practice matters for guys who are trying to make the team. Mm-hmm. You see this with the Lions. Jason Huntley just got cut, fifth rounder. He, he can use every practice he can get to try to make the active roster. So the practice the Chargers canceled was actually a very special practice. It was a special scrimmage at SoFi Field. It was a really big deal practice mm-hmm. that they canceled. Now, another point I want to make is I didn't see a vote on whether they should cancel practice or not. Maybe they did vote. We just didn't see it on Hard Knocks, but it didn't look like there was a vote. I think that's unfair for all the players who are not as assertive or afraid to speak up. As I just mentioned, these practices might not mean that much for the starters or the high-profile players, but the 30th man on the roster, the 40th man on the roster who hasn't made much money and who won't make much money in his extremely short career, those guys may have wanted to practice. Mm -hmm. And those guys may not have wanted to sacrifice a practice to go on a protest. So we don't know what percentage of players actually wanted to practice. What if 90% of the players wanted to practice? We don't know. Without a secret vote, the coaches don't know either. And I don't think it's fair for the non-vocal members on the team to not have a vote in the matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think in some aspects, the team kind of spins it in a way as it's like a team building exercise or it's a way for a team bonding way for just for them to get a lot closer because I don't know if you saw, but Matt Patricia was recently on the Pat McAfee show and they sort of talked about that situation where obviously they talked about them canceling practice and that type of bond that that brought them and how they just, he knew that they're such a great group of guys and the, the F the practice following that after they, he could tell that there was just a tight connection between everyone and it was such a deep connection. But also, he had in that same conversation, he was talking about how the lack of preseason games and the lack of opposing practices against other teams and stuff like that is hurting those lower end players. Because especially when you look at our punting and special team situation, that is, you cannot replicate that in practice, no matter what. You can't replicate a special team situation and how all the pressure coming down on you. So it's like when the lights come on, it's going to be really interesting to see how our punters can handle an actual game, live game situation, as opposed to practice or anything like that. So like you said, even just canceling one practice can have somewhat of a detrimental effect on certain players on the team. Right. You make a good point that they don't have the preseason games to practice in the stadium. So the Chargers canceling one of their practices at SoFi Stadium to get to know the stadium, sort of a big deal. Now, mm-hmm. Maybe they made up that SoFi practice later in the week. I don't know. But it was a big deal practice that they canceled. Mm-hmm. And back to your point about the team being unified. Well, this is where I have an issue with that without a secret vote. Mm-hmm. I watched the Inside the Den Lions video, episode three, where they highlighted the Lions canceling. The whole team comes out, they say they're unified, and maybe they are, but was there a vote taken? Were 100% of the players voting to cancel the practice or not? Because if only 50% or 75% of the players wanted to cancel a practice, it 
I don't know if I would call that a unified decision there. It's either a majority rule or it's even a minority rule where just the most vocal guys are canceling it for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's my concern here. I'm looking out for the guys that don't have a voice and are afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's just this year is so unprecedented. Like I said, there's going about training camp and going about the entire offseason has just been a completely different experience. And now even with this trying to tie political politics into sports is just even making it more complicated and putting more, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say stress, but it's putting more problems than there originally was with the pandemic going on. Yeah. So canceling a practice is not a major problem. The main problem is going forward. Are the players going to wildcat strike a game? Mm-hmm. Most players and fans don't care that much about canceling a practice. The players might not care that much. They're still getting paid. So it's like a, a paid day day off almost, mm-hmm. but going on strike for a game is a totally different matter. If they're going to lose a paycheck, you're going to have some players who want to play and some who don't. So if a game gets canceled, it's not really fair to the players who didn't want to go on strike if they lose a paycheck. So that's a question the NFL needs to answer. And we discussed on the previous podcast a bunch of questions that the NFL needs to figure out before the season starts regarding a Wildcat strike. Mm-hmm. Here are a few more. How many players need to go on strike before a game is forfeited or canceled? Is it 10, 20, 30? They need to know this in advance. Mm -hmm. And if the game gets canceled, do the guys who wanted to play still receive paychecks? Again, it's not fair that a player wants to play, but the game is getting canceled because 10 guys decided to protest. So this is why the NFL should consider a secret vote or anonymous vote so Mm -hmm. that whoever votes that they want to still play, they'll still get paid even if the game gets canceled. That's just an option for the NFL out there that they need to figure out. They need to negotiate with this, with the NFLPA. Yeah. They're all very, very tricky questions to answer. And regardless of how they handle a protest strike, there's going to be backlash and criticism, which is why I'm going to reiterate what I said on the last podcast. Roger Goodell, Demora Smith, leaders of the NFL and NFLPA need to get together to agree on the plan if players go on strike. You can't try to figure out after it already happens because it's too late. It's too late to figure that out. And in addition, it's fair for the players to know in advance what the consequences are if they go on a wildcat strike. That way they can make an informed decision about whether they want to strike or not. Mm-hmm. If they're willing to make the sacrifice, make the financial sacrifice or career sacrifice, knowing in advance might change everything for players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really need to figure it out. Because like you said, it's just everything's kind of up in the air and the season's starting this Thursday. So they've only got a few days to kind of figure this out. So next up today, we'll move on. And we've got some big news coming out of Allen Park earlier this week as well. And we've been talking about this almost all off season on basically who would get an extension first. And that question was answered earlier this week with Taylor Decking, Taylor Decker getting a an extension for six years and $85 million in total. And honestly, this is well-deserved. He played very well last year, and he was also named a captain as well last year. 
And I've been claiming this for a while that I, and if it was my personal decision, I would have paid um, Taylor Decker already. I would have had this deal done, but I'm just glad that they finally came to an agreement and he's going to be with the Lions for quite a few more years. So, Jimmy, how do you feel about the extension and how do you think that he played the last few years and if he was actually deserved? Very happy to see Taylor Decker get extended. I'm always rooting for extending our own draft picks. I love to see the continuity. It helps me as a fan to develop a bond with the team. It makes me care about the team more. Mm-hmm. This is a direct contrast with, say, the NBA, where players, even the superstars, are switching teams all the time, sometimes even in the middle of a season. So there just isn't that much of a sense of team from year to year. Mm-hmm. As far as how Decker's played, I think he's been a very solid offensive tackle with the Lions. He was the 16th overall pick in his draft Mm. he's actually the fourth offensive tackle drafted that year behind ronnie stanley jack conklin and laramie tungsel so there's a little bit concern that you're getting the fourth best offensive tackle but it has turned out to be a a very good pick by bob quinn yeah last year he had a bad start in the first game against arizona we were all a little worried about him turns out it might have been related to a back injury as he took the next game off tyrell crosby filled him very nicely in that game Decker was back in the game three, and he was rock solid the rest of the year. So overall, he's been a very solid offensive tackle for us. Oh, yeah, again. And that's something that we've talked about before is just having a good offensive line and how big and important that is, especially with a quarterback like Matthew Stafford. As I don't want to say he's old, but obviously he's getting up there. He's up in his 30s now, and he can't be keep running around for his life like he was earlier in his career when our offensive line was terrible. So the importance of an offensive line. And I know Daryl Bevel is stressing trying to get our run game going again. You need a good offensive line if we're going to be trying to do that. So I'm happy that he got extended now. I'm also hoping that we can get Kenny Galladay extended, but if this is a completely different conversation, I just don't think he is deserved of a top five salary and top five wide receiver salary in the NFL. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting about Galladay. First of all, I was wrong about predicting that Galladay would sign first. I was really expecting that he would jump to sign because he hasn't Mm -hmm. made that much money. Yeah. So uh, I was wrong about that part. We'll see how it goes over the next few days to see if Galladay signs. Mm -hmm. But I was right about the fact that COVID was going to change how contracts are structured in the future. Go back to our August 3rd podcast. I suggested that general managers should learn from the CJ Mosley disaster and decrease the bonus money and increase the salary money a no play no pay contract structure just to recap what happened with cj mosley he's been paid 29 million dollars for one year of play this is because he got a signing bonus in addition to a 10 million dollar roster bonus in 2019 and a 10 million dollar roster bonus in 2020 those roster bonuses were paid in march So those are his to keep, even though he opted out due to COVID this year. Now, that kind of front-loaded bonus structure contract was fine pre-COVID and pre-Wildcat strikes, but it's far too risky now and puts the team in a very dangerous position in the future. COVID opt-outs in 2021 and beyond are very possible. The NFL even actually wrote that into the current COVID CBA, allowing the possibility of opt-outs for next year. And as we've seen in the past week, wildcat strikes are very possible as well. Mm -hmm. So I give a lot of credit to Bob Quinn 
for realizing this new world we're in and changing the contract structure for Taylor Decker. So let's take a look at his actual structure. The final numbers were actually a four-year $60 million extension. There was an extra year added in there, which wasn't a real year for uh, salary cap purposes. So it's about $15 million a year. Mm-hmm. The signing bonus was only $7.5 million, which is relatively small. Yeah. And that signing bonus is also paid out in 17 installments during the season, which is not something I've heard of before. And you wonder if that's to cover themselves in case half the season gets canceled due to COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, the other guaranteed money is paid out in 2021 and 2022 in forms of salary. So there's $13 million fully guaranteed salary in 21, 14.75 fully guaranteed salary in 22. The first time Taylor Decker earns a roster bonus is 2024 (laughs) and only a $500,000 roster bonus. So you see how this is vastly different than what CJ Mosley got, which is over $20 million in roster bonuses in just the first year. Mm-hmm. So this is great to see Bob Quinn looking out for the future of the Lions, even though he might be on a little bit of a wing now hot seat position. <laughs> this actually suggests that he's very comfortable in this position long term. Mm-hmm. Maybe the team owners are comfortable with him and there's some level of long term security there for Bob Quinn that we don't know about. Yeah. You and me have, again, talked about this multiple times on past episodes about the longevity of Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn's career past this season. And I'm pretty sure, I know I have said it, but I'm pretty sure you said it as well, that they, we both see them staying with them longer past this season. Unless they go 0-16, if there's some type of improvement from last year, even if they don't make the playoffs, we both, I mean, I, again, still see them making the roster, coaching the team, being general manager of the team as well. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. So you asked about uh, Kenny Galladay. How does this affect Galladay's potential contract? Mm-hmm. We only have about a week left before the season starts, so it's crunch time now. <laughs> we now have the franchise tag as leverage since we yeah. signed Taylor Decker. The franchise tag for wide receivers this year was $18 million. Just today, just announced about half an hour ago, Keenan Allen just signed a four-year $80 million extension, so yep. about $20 million a year. So Galladay is not as good as Keenan Allen, so he'll slot in maybe around the $18 million a year mark. We'll have to see. Hopefully Galladay isn't asking for an outrageous contract, which would make it difficult for us to sign. We'll have to see how things go over the next few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Hopefully they can get it done. I would love to see Kenny Galladay stay, but it is nice to know that we do have that franchise tag option if it if yep. it does come down to it so we can have another year of negotiations, hopefully. Right. Yeah, he's not going anywhere for this year or next. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on, and next up we'll do kind of just our weekly coverage of COVID and how it's still prevalent in the NFL every week. And recently, there have been a few more positive tests. I don't believe there were any this recent week, but the following previous week, there were a couple of positive tests. And once again, the NFL has changed the return to play protocol and how it's going to be affecting players who have tested positive. So, Jimmy, if you want to go ahead and talk about that a little bit more. 
Yeah, so from August 21st to 29th, four players tested positive, Mm -hmm. six staff members tested positive. This is out of 2,747 players total, so extremely small number. Again, I need to mention that we don't know if the NFL is counting so-called unconfirmed positives. We don't know how they're tallying things. Mm -hmm. We can't take these numbers at face value. The unconfirmed positives are these isolated positives that aren't considered false positives. So, for example, Matthew Stafford's positive test was labeled an unconfirmed positive by Dr. Sills. Now, as far as the return to play protocol, it's changed again, according to Tom Pelissero. Mm-hmm. Here's the new protocol. If a player has a positive test, they're going to rerun that original sample immediately. And they'll also do a POC, which is a point of care rapid test mm-hmm. as soon as possible. If both are negative, then the player can play. This means if the player has a test Saturday morning, those results might return in the afternoon or evening, not exactly for sure when they return. But if it's positive, they'll immediately rerun the original sample as well as the POC. If the original sample is negative and the POC is negative, they could be back for the Sunday early game. Nice. Now, there is a question about, is there an increased risk of a false negative by rerunning the original sample? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if the NFL is doing studies to determine that. It seems like they're sort of assuming that the false positive and negative rate and the accuracy of the test is the same with the first rung versus the second rung. I don't know about that. <laughs> but overall, you can clearly see what's going on with the NFL. They continue this trend of trying to get players back to play as soon as possible and trying to avoid any missed game time. Mm-hmm. Initial COVID protocol one month ago, which seems like forever at this point, the initial protocol was a five-day uh, return to play Uh, quarantine after a positive test. Well, after Stafford's issue, they dropped it down to two days. Now it's potentially down to one day or about 24 hours. (laughs) At this rate, it might go down to even 15 minutes, which is how long the point of care test takes. It wouldn't surprise me if that happens at some point. So the NFL clearly has this priority of not having players miss games, which I'm supportive of. I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, of course. They, you know what they always say, your best ability is availability. And that's not only true just for owners and head coaches, as obviously they want their team to do good, but it's also true for players in the aspect, okay, if they have to miss a game and someone steps up, they could possibly be cut that next week because that player out, outperformed them and they're getting paid less. So, right. you know, it's again, it's concerning for both players and head coaches as well. Yeah, this is where it's interesting that J.C. Treader the NFLPA player president requested daily testing during the season. And it looks like he might get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The initial plan was if tests were showed a less than 5% positive rate, they would decrease it to every other day testing. Well, publicly the positive tests are way below 5%. They're way below 1%. So they really should be going to every other day testing right now, but they're still sticking with daily testing. It looks like they're going to continue daily testing during the season. Now, I can see some play, a lot of players wanting this because there's no reduction in their salary if they miss a game due to COVID, unless they do something off the field that's not allowed, like go to a big party or go to a nightclub. <laughs> and there is increased safety if they have daily testing because it 
catches a positive test earlier and decreases the chance of an outbreak. There really aren't any significant negatives to players besides what you mentioned. Some players do not want to miss any games because they're a fringe player that might get cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the NFL, though, there is a negative to daily testing, which is increased cost of testing, as well as the product on the field can be harmed if players are missing games. Yep. Yeah, that's always one of the biggest concerns. Again, if you look at former preseason games, that's basically just some, looks like some high school teams out there sometimes playing football. And if we get multiple positive COVID tests or a whole team in a positive COVID test, then we could be looking at some type of situation where it's a preseason third string whole team out there playing football. And again, that's losing money for the NFL because nobody's going to want to watch and tune into that game, especially if it's like a a Sunday night, Monday night, uh, primetime game that could really hurt ratings, really hurt the NFL in the long term. Um, So we will end the show with just a couple little uh, random random news facts that just kind of happened earlier this week. One interesting thing I found that came out recently was Riley Reef was forced to take a pay cut in order for the Yannick Ngakwe trade to go through either that or he was going to be cut, which I find is kind of interesting, but I mean, obviously you want to keep your job. So he took that pay cut. What did you think about that, Jimmy? Yeah, we talked about how signing Yannick Ngakwe potentially could cause some salary cap issues in the future. Well, we have already seen that happen already. So Riley Reef agreed to take a pay cut from $11 million to $6 million. Mm-hmm. He can make up about $2 million with playing time incentives. But this is a ugly situation, and it can't sit well in the locker room or with players. Riley Reef is your starting left tackle. It's not like this is a backup linebacker or something. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if we went to Marvin Jones and said, hey, sorry, we're a week away from starting the season, but we need you to take a pay cut or we're cutting you because we wanted to bring somebody else. Now, contrast with this with what the Lions just did a week ago, which was this unifying thing by canceling a practice, which mm-hmm. may have created a better locker room situation. It's sort of interesting to see the contrast there. Mm-hmm. And this shows you how tight against the cap the Vikings are. If they had to make this move just to get Yannick Ngakwe into the fold, what's their cap situation going to look like going forward? Because they're going to have to give Ngakwe a top-of-the-market contract, very mm-hmm. likely, because they ha- they traded two picks to get him. So we'll see how this plays going forward, but I found it fascinating to see that they threatened to cut Riley Reef, their starting left tackle, if he wanted to take a pay cut. Yeah, I find it really interesting, too. I kind of find it funny, to be honest. And this is on top of Yannick Ngakwe already taking, what, a 4 to $5 million pay cut off his franchise tag as well just to be traded to the Vikings. So, Yeah, the final number was he actually took a $5.6 million cut just to go to the Vikings. Exactly. Well, so. A whole bunch of players had to take pay cuts. Yannick Ngakwe took a massive loss accepting uh, this trade mm-hmm. because he just – went scorched earth on the Jaguars' ownership and ruined his trade value. Basically, it seems like no one really wanted to give up much for him or give him much of a salary mm-hmm. because the fact that the Vikings gave him the best offer that they could get, and it was a $5.6 million cut, that's a rough situation for Ngakwe. 
Yeah, again, and us going back to the whole Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia thing, you got to give credit to Bob Quinn in this situation for being able to work the contract and the salary cap a little bit better. And kind of after we got some of the former bad contracts out of the way, he's kind of, I wouldn't say we're in a great position, but he's, I mean, looking at surround our division, looking at the Bears, looking at the Vikings cap situations in comparison to those, I think we're doing a lot better than them. So, right. Yeah. So, Hopefully this is a good sign going long-term, but short-term, I think the Vikings may have played it correctly for this year, at least, because they got to keep their starting left tackle. Hopefully he actually is motivated and wants to play right. uh, with high energy. And they also got Yannick and Gakwe. So short-term, the Vikings did make out pretty well in this situation. Yeah. We'll just have to see how it plays out this year and see who wins the division. And one other little um, news bit that came out earlier this week was Adrian Peterson was actually cut from the Washington Redskins. And I've been seeing a lot of stuff trending on Twitter that a lot of people think that because of the Daryl Bevel connection with them back in Minnesota, that he might be possibly interested in coming back to the Lions. And again, with cut day being today and all of these with a loaded wide running back room. I don't know if I even see that possible, but what do you think about the possibility of the Lions signing Adrian Peterson, former rival? Please, no. <laughs> Please, no. We we don't want this guy. He's had off-the-field issues as well. He's been a head case. I still remember him giving a death stare to Sean Payton <laughs> a couple years ago when Sean Payton wouldn't give him enough playing time or enough carries. No, we don't want this guy. Looks like Bo Scarborough still on the team. We got Ty Johnson. We got a nice stable of running backs. So absolutely not on Adrian Peterson. One thing I wanted to mention about the Adrian Peterson thing that was interesting is he came in as the same draft as Calvin Johnson. And Adrian Peterson is still playing. Calvin Johnson retired. It's been four years already. Mm-hmm. So it's I remember when we drafted Calvin Johnson, one of the reasons to draft him as opposed to Adrian Peterson, a running back, is I thought wide receivers are going to have a much longer playing career. <laughs> well, wow, that, that turned out to be completely incorrect in this specific situation. Yeah, Adrian Peterson somehow is still playing in the NFL. Yeah, you know, like you said, a running back's uh, shelf life is way shorter. The average, I mean, average NFL career is about three years, but I think the average running back's career is usually maybe a little bit shorter than that because unless you're a star running back, I mean, I know um, Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore are kind of like exceptions to that role. They've just, they've been grinding for years and they're still at it, so. Yeah, those are some extreme exceptions. You rarely see that kind of longevity and health. Yeah, exactly. That's one thing that's provided them both a longevity and career is their health. They've been able to stay healthy this long time. Well, what's interesting think. about both those players, Peterson and Frank Gore, they both torn their ACL. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a fascinating thing. Yeah. It shows how well you can recover from an ACL injury as long as there's no collateral damage like meniscus or articular cartilage issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- modern medicine has come a long way, and players can adapt and actually go on to have long, successful careers after those surgeries. So it's an awesome thing to see now. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We will see you again next time.